Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, please grab one of the Pew Bibles and turn to page 902. And this morning, we're going to be finishing our series on God's design for the church. And in this series, we've looked at uh, what it looks like to be an elder-led, deacon-served, congregationally-governed church. And we saw that the office of elder is one of leadership and oversight, focusing on the spiritual needs of the church. And the office of deacon is one of service, focused on the physical and administrative needs of the church. And last week, we, we noticed that the congregation also has a role in the church. The congregation is the final authority under God's word in matters of doctrine, membership, discipline, and appointing church officers. And today, we'll be focusing on what is meaningful membership. What is meaningful membership? And we're going to be looking at many verses this morning. This isn't a typical sermon where we dig into one text and stay there the whole time. We're going to be jumping around a bit to see where church membership shows up in the Bible. So now let's first look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, looking at verses 12 to 27. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to a part of the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray now for ears to hear 
what your spirit is saying to the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church membership, is it a big deal or not? Many churches in our day have no formal membership process. And many Christians never join a church or see any reason to do so. Maybe this is because we don't see a specific command in the Bible that explicitly says, thou must be a church member. Or some people decide that since they've been hurt by the church in the past, they say, I don't, I don't want to become a member and get hurt again. And what's the point of becoming a member of a church so we can vote in business meetings? That doesn't seem to be worth it. We also live in a very individualistic and consumeristic culture. And so instead of looking at a church and asking, how can I serve? People often ask, well, what's in it for me? Many people today have reduced the church to a place where you just go and you hear a sermon. And so becoming a member also sounds like too much commitment. After all, I have a job and extracurricular activities for my kids like sports and clubs. Or maybe you've never really thought about why committing to a church would be important. And I personally blame the church for this. Many churches have not had a high view of church membership. And so there are many Christians today who have never committed to one local body of believers. But today, I want to show you in the Bible that committing yourself to meaningful membership in a local church is actually essential to your life as a follower of Christ. Commitment to a church should be a very high priority. In fact, it should shape all of your other priorities. Being a member of a church should change the way that you think about work, where you live, how you parent, the sports that your kids play, and tons of other things in your life. For the college students that are here, even though you're only going to be here for a few years, it's important that you join a local church. Don't waste your time jumping from church to church to church and never committing, because you will miss out on important accountability and the fellowship that is found in the local church. Church membership is essential for Christians. I hope you see this morning that biblically, followers of Jesus are not church hoppers. Followers of Jesus are not church avoiders or merely church attenders. Followers of Jesus are church members. So the main point of the sermon this morning is this. Committing to meaningful membership in a local church is essential to following Jesus. Committing to meaningful membership in a local church is essential to following Jesus. The New Testament knows nothing of casual attenders who aren't joined to a local body of believers. Now, where do we see this? Well, first off, think about most of the letters in the New Testament. Who were they written to? Some were written to individual Christians, 
but most of them were written to churches, local bodies of believers who gathered together and were committed to one another. Some Christians say, well, yeah, I'm a part of the body of Christ, meaning the global church, the universal church, the capital C church. That's what the church is. Everybody who believes in Jesus is a member of the universal global church. That's what's most important. I understand what you're saying when you say this, but I think that the Bible disagrees. Yes, when you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed and brought into the family of God. And what that means is that you're brought into the universal church, that capital C church. But it's also clear from the scriptures that they encourage us, they expect us to commit to a local body, which is a local expression of the capital C church. Consider the fact that most of the New Testament letters were written to specific local churches. In fact, 90 of the 114 references of that word church in the New Testament is in reference to a local gathering of believers. Think about Paul's greeting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He writes, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So do you see that there? Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. He's writing to a specific group of believers in Corinth, a local church. But he also says that they are called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reference to the universal or global church. So yes, the Corinthian believers were a part of the global church who call upon the name of the Lord, but they were also a local expression of that global church. Paul wasn't writing to every Christian in the world in the first century when he wrote 1 Corinthians. No, he was writing specifically to the church at Corinth. We see this in the other letters. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes again to the church of God that is at Corinth. In Galatians, Paul addresses the churches in Galatia, many different local churches in that area. He writes to the saints who are in Ephesus, specific location. In Philippians, he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He writes to the members of the local church and also to their church officers. The primary emphasis in the New Testament is local churches, local bodies where individual followers of Jesus belong. In the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, and those letters are addressed specifically to Christians who are members of the local church. And so my question to each of you here this morning, if you are a Christian, if the Apostle Paul were to write you a letter, 
Which local body of believers would he write to? The New Testament has no concept of Christians floating around in just me and Jesus land. Believers belong to churches. We also see that churches in the New Testament kept records of church members. In the book of Acts, the disciples are all gathered together waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Luke records about 120 of them. And the Spirit comes and Peter begins preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem, urging them to repent of their sins, believe in Jesus, and be baptized. And Luke records in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were counting counting the number of new converts who were baptized and brought into the church. They were added to the church. The early church practiced church membership. They knew who belonged and how many members they had. And then when we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we read at the beginning, we see church membership. Churches didn't start using that word membership because Costco or your local gym uses that word. This language of membership comes from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In these verses, Paul is referring to membership in a local church. He talks about believers being members of one body. Paul is writing to the church who met locally at Corinth. And he says, just as the human body is made up of these interconnected parts that work together, the local church is also built that way. There's diversity between members in the church body. There's different ages. There's ethnicities. There's backgrounds, different backgrounds. There's different giftings. We, like the differing parts of the body, all need each other. We all play a vital role. And Paul says, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us is honored, we all rejoice together. The reason Paul is writing this is because he was urging the Corinthians, those who met at the church in Corinth, to be united. The church is called the body and each individual Christian is referred to as members or parts of the body. So you can be a hand, you could be a foot, you can be an eye or the ear. But a body part detached from the rest of the body, is that a good thing? No. But that's what it looks like for a Christian to refuse to join a local church. It looks like an arm flopping around on the ground. Arms don't last long when they're detached from a body. And there are many other images used in the New Testament that refer to how individual Christians relate to the church. And, and, and the reasoning for that is because church membership was assumed. Think about 1 Timothy 3.15, which refers to the church as the household or family of God. That household is made up of what? Brothers and sisters in Christ. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christians are like stones, living stones, that build up this spiritual house. The church is also described as God's flock and individual Christians as sheep. All these images point to the fact that God's intention is for his people to be united together in local churches. Think about church leadership and how membership plays a part in that. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. God is giving this command to Christians. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So how is a Christian supposed to obey this command if there's no such thing as church membership? Or how am I as a pastor know to who I'm giving an account for if there's no such thing as church membership. Does this verse mean that you as a Christian are supposed to obey and submit to every leader that exists in the global body of Christ? Or are you supposed to obey this command with the pastors and leaders of the local church that you belong to? This command assumes that every Christian is a part of a local church. Pastors will not give an account for Christians who live a thousand miles away or Christians that don't join the church that they pastor. They are responsible for the individuals who submit to their leadership in the body. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, elders and pastors are responsible for caring for the flock that's been entrusted to them. This implies that they know who is entrusted to them. It's never a good thing for a sheep to just go off solo looking for green pastures themselves. Rogue sheep are easy prey for wolves. We need to belong to the safety of the flock. And so church membership helps us to keep gathered with the other sheep and under the protection of the shepherds. Membership helps the pastors and elders keep track of which sheep they're responsible for. Just to give one practical example, I mean, we try to be diligent in following up with people that haven't visited in a while, but it's, it's a challenge. And so if you never become a member and you start straying away from the Lord and miss some Sundays, it's possible for us to just assume that you're visiting another church. And so if you hop from church to church or refuse to join a church, how will you obey this verse? In order for you to obey Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it is necessary that you identify yourself as a part of a church, a member of a church. If you refuse to submit yourself to, to any of the under shepherds that Jesus provides for you, how can you say that you're submitting to Jesus? 
And I think one of the most convincing arguments for church membership being essential for the Christian life is found when we think about church discipline. We looked at this last week, right? Matthew chapter 18. Jesus taught how believers are to respond to a person who's in sin, right? Jesus instructs us first to to go to that person individually, just one-on-one, and yet if that doesn't work out, to bring two or three other believers with us. And if the person still refuses to repent, what does Jesus tell us to do? To bring it to the church. That implies... There is a local body of believers. And then if you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul tells the church to remove that man who's been sleeping with his father's wife, he tells them to remove him from among you. Think about it. Someone cannot be removed from the church unless they are a part of the church. 1 Corinthians 5 is only possible if you have an understanding of membership in a local church. At the church in Corinth, people were identified as being inside the church or outside the church. And there comes a point, if a member in the church continues in unrepentant sin, that they need to be removed from church membership, which is exactly what Jesus taught the church to do. When Jesus says, tell it to the church, Is Jesus telling the disciples that any time any professing Christian remains unrepentant, that every Christian in the world needs to know about it? No. He's referring to the local church. And as soon as we say that, we're assuming that there was a clear way of discerning who was a part of the church. We see church membership implied in church discipline situations. And then have you ever thought about the one another commands in relation to church membership? The Christian life is not only about attending a service once a week or having your own personal quiet times in the Lord or having the right doctrine. The scriptures teach us that the Christian life revolves around the local church Not the building, right? The building is not the church. But the Christian life revolves around other believers. Think about these commands we read in the scriptures. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Comfort one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, admonish one another, encourage one another, build one another up, do good for one another, exhort one another, stir up one another in love and good works, confess your sins to one another. Show hospitality to one another. There's over 40 one another's in the Bible. How else can you obey these commands if you're not in fellowship with the believers that God has called you to live life with? 
These commands assume that people are meeting together often, that they are discipling one another, that they're holding one another accountable. These commands assume that Christians are members of a local church. Don't forget, the apostles wrote these commands to local churches. And so if we take obedience to God seriously, we simply cannot follow Scripture's commands without being a member of a local church. For those of you who are members of this church, how are you doing with all those one another's? In all of this, I hope you see that church membership is biblical. And also that as members, we have responsibilities. But before we talk about that, let's talk about what's required to become a member of the church. Who gets in? Church membership in some churches has become reduced down to the phrase, come and join. But in reality, the church knows very little about the people who are joining and expects nothing of them. Some churches sadly have such a low view of membership that they come up with slogans like, belong before you believe, allowing anyone to become a member and serve in their church. How unbiblical, how unwise. Here at Calvary, we practice regenerate church membership. In order to become a member of this church, you have to be a Christian first. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to be able to explain the Bible. Sorry, explain the gospel. <laughs> I'm in the Bible too, right? You have to be living a life of obedience to God. Another requirement for membership in our church is that you must be a baptized believer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 28, the crowds ask Peter what they must do to be saved. And Peter answers, repent and be baptized. And this is the first thing that Jesus commands that his disciples do when making other disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Now, to be clear, baptism does not save anyone, but Jesus commands that those whom he has saved must publicly identify with him and his people through baptism. And so if you want to identify yourself with Jesus's people and expect them to identify with you, you need to first identify yourself with Christ through baptism. Pastor Mark Dever writes, baptism is essential for membership in a church because if one were admitted by a church only to refuse such a clear command of Christ, then such an unbaptized person claiming to follow Christ would simply be immediately disciplined until they either decided to follow Christ's commands or stopped having the church's endorsement of their claim to follow him. There will never be anything that Jesus calls you to do that will be easier than baptism. Hopefully that's pretty clear to you all. I mean, after all, we are a Baptist church. It's in the name. 
It's in our theological distinctives. We believe in believers' baptism, meaning that baptism comes after belief. That's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And so we would reject infant baptism. And so anyone wanting to become a member of our church who was sprinkled with water as a baby would need to be baptized as a believer before joining our church. But if you were baptized as a believer at another church or in a river, uh, you already have publicly identified with Christ, and we would not ask you to be rebaptized. And so in order to become a member, you must be a Christian who has followed the command of Christ to be baptized, and then you would agree with what we believe as a church, our statement of faith. You would meet with one of the pastors, and then at our next members' meeting, the church would vote on you becoming a member. We have quite a few people who we will be voting on in this upcoming meeting on the 17th. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. But church, church membership is much more than your name on a list or having the ability to vote in a meeting. I hope you see that God has not designed the church to be an event where we just passively sit and watch and then move on to our everyday life. The church is designed to be a community that lives out all those one another commands, to bear one another's burdens, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to consider each other more important than ourselves, to exhort one another, to love one another. Jesus saw that love one another as the distinguishing marks of his disciples. He says in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, yes, we worship together and sit under the preaching of the word together, but there are more things that we should be doing. Membership should be meaningful. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, why don't you turn there? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Luke writes this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The Bible doesn't present the Christian life lived in isolation, but lived out with other Christians. The Bible doesn't say that we go to church on Sunday and gather with believers and then ignore them the rest of the week and spend time with our immediate family. The church is supposed to be a family. Think about those verses. They attended the temple together. 
They listened to the apostles' teaching. They sat under the teaching of the word and supported the leadership that God had given them. They spent time in prayer. They celebrated the Lord's Supper. They cared for each other's needs. They showed hospitality. They lived life together. Church membership is a formal commitment to love and be loved by those Christians that we live around, whom we often interact with, whom we desire to hold accountable, and who hold us accountable. And so if you hear someone gossiping in the church, it's your responsibility as a member to call out that sin, to confront your brother and sister and remind them of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hold each other accountable to living according to what we profess. This isn't just the role of the leaders. If we have a visitor on Sunday morning, don't rely on the pastors or the deacons or the connection card to connect with that person. I can't tell you how many times people have texted me Sunday night and said, hey, did you see that new couple sitting in the back? What are their names? And I'm like, I didn't see them. You guys, this is your church. This is our family. If we have a guest, connect with them. And then the church life extends far beyond our formal gatherings. So when you ask the question, how do I get involved at Calvary? Or what does a member do? We will likely answer differently than some other churches would. We're not going to require every member to be a part of a small group and divide up the church. Instead, we're going to tell you to invest in relationships. So how do you get involved? Invest in relationships. The culture that we're trying to develop here is being a relationship-based church, not a program-driven church. If we just place you into programs, it might keep you busy for a while. It might get you involved. But that doesn't mean that you're growing in Christ. The best way to cultivate long-term spiritual health for you and for our church is for you to have an intentional spiritual relationship with another person or many more people. We want to encourage a culture where it's normal for the members out of love for Christ and for one another to take the initiative to build relationships with other members for their spiritual good. Now, I admit, that's a little organic and messy and definitely does not look good on a spreadsheet. But over time, it results in community that is deeper and longer-lasting. All right, so how do you do this? Here are some ideas. There's lots of application in this sermon. Practice hospitality. Make getting together with other church members a regular part of your life. Invite people into your homes. If you're a college student, ask a member of our church if you can have dinner in their homes. Now, 
it won't be awkward anymore because I told you to do it, right? Just blame me. Sit with people you don't know at our church potlucks. Ask people to grab lunch with you and your family after church. And then beyond eating, because that involves a lot of eating, uh, attend weddings and funerals of church members. Visit the sick in our church and pray for them. Help each other move in and out of homes. Find older members who need help and grab other members to come alongside you and serve them. Make yourself available to give people rides if they need them. But the point of all of this is to be involved in each other's lives. And if you have a tough time trying to do that on your own, please come see me or any of the other leaders. We'd love to help you. But also be active in discipling. Help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's the reason for these intentional relationships. Remember, it's the responsibility of the elders to equip the saints. But what is the saints' role? The work of ministry. Church members minister to one another. So find someone in our church of the same gender who you can get together with on a regular basis to study a portion of scripture, to read a good Christian book, to discuss the sermon, or just encourage each other to walk more closely to Jesus. Again, if you're having trouble finding someone to meet up with, come see me or the leaders. That's the culture of meaningful membership that we're trying to cultivate here. And now, what are the specific responsibilities of the members of this church? After the membership interview, after the church votes on you becoming a member, what would we ask of you? Well, first, to be a regular attender of our worship services. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says that we should not forsake gathering together, as is the habit of some. Church should not be optional. All the other things in your life should come second in relation to worshiping the Lord on Sunday. The Chicago Bears have failed you again and again. Amen? But your God has never failed you. In fact, he sent his son to die for your sins so that you would have eternal life. The game can wait. The tea time can be pushed aside and scheduled for later. Show up to church on Sunday to encourage one another and worship our great God. Attend the worship service. Next, give. Work towards giving a percentage of your income regularly to the ministry of our church. Scripture's full of instructions on giving, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but freely as you've decided in your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Give. Set aside time to be at our members' meetings. Whether these meetings are long or short, exciting or routine, they are a crucial part of how we function as a congregation. 
And then lastly, serve. Use the gifts that the Lord has given you. Don't underestimate the role that you have in the church. God has given you gifts for the building up of the body. Now, in most of the areas of our church, only members can serve. We do this because church membership is important. Submitting to one another and to church leaders is biblical. And if you're not willing to call yourself a part of this family, then you're not willing to do those things. But if you are a member of this church, then serve. And if you want to serve, become a member. You cannot fulfill your obligations to other Christians and church leaders without church membership. And other Christians and church leaders cannot fulfill their obligations to you without church membership. Now, I realize that there might be some people here who don't believe in Jesus. I appreciate you hanging in here with us as we think together about church membership based in God's word. All of what we're talking about today is because of Jesus. This is his church built upon the good news, the gospel. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life of obedience to God that we could not live. And even though he didn't sin, Jesus paid the price for sin by dying on the cross in the place of those who turn and trust in him. He died for all our imperfections, for all of our sins, for all of our rebellion against God. And then he rose from the dead in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And so anyone who turns from their sins and believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior is forgiven of all of their sins and reconciled to God forever. This is the gospel. This is the message of the church. Christ and him crucified. You cannot save yourself. You will not go to heaven because you're a good person. You are a sinner in need of a savior. But the good news of the gospel says that you can be saved and brought into the family of God by believing that Jesus died for your sins. And so I urge you this morning to turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk with me about that, if you have any questions, I'd love to talk with you at the end of the service. The gospel not only reconciles us to God, but also to his people. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And yet, I know that there are those this morning who may be in that place where baptism is holding you back from membership. Let me encourage you to follow the command of Christ and be baptized to publicly identify with Jesus and his church. If you are a baptized follower of Christ, but not a member, my encouragement to you is to decide as soon as possible which local church you're going to be committed to. 
If that's somewhere besides this church, that's perfectly fine. But commit there because they need you and you need them. And if you're a member here, recommit yourself to being involved and present in the work and the ministry of this church. Because if we're striving to be an elder-led, deacon-served, congregationally-governed church, we're going to need all hands on deck. We share the gospel together. The greatest news that there ever was. We are here to make disciples together, to pray together, to do all these things for the spread of God's glory in this world. Joining a church helps to evangelize the world. Joining a church helps edify the church, and it glorifies God. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says that he bought the church with his own blood. If we are followers of Jesus, we too will love the church that he purchased and gave himself for. Don't just attend church. Join the church. Serve in the church. Practice and live out those one another commands. May God give us grace to help one another see the value of membership in order that we may faithfully bear witness to Jesus, who is the Lord of the church. Committing to meaningful membership in a local church is essential to following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not know your son, Jesus Christ, savingly, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, helping us to see that you have designed the church to function in a certain way, and that we as your people should not only submit to that design, but also be involved in the life of the church. I pray that you would help us who are members to be committed to faithfully serve this church. It's a great privilege that you have given us to be a part, to be a member of the church. We know that it's only possible because of what Jesus has done. Now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations.